Every art and every investigation, and similarly, every action and pursuit, wrote Aristotle at the beginning of his book, The Nicomachean Ethics, is considered to aim at some good. Hence, the good has rightly been defined as that at which all things aim. Close quote. From Wyoming Catholic College, this is the After Dinner Scholar podcast, and I'm your host, Dr. Jim Tonkowicz. We all, Aristotle contends, aim at what we believe is the good. But how do we know what is truly good? And how is it possible, as he tells us, that the way to aim at the good has to do with politics? Dr. Pavlos Papadopoulos has been reading the ethics with our Wyoming Catholic College juniors, and I asked him about what Aristotle means by the good. Aristotle notes that everything we do, every pursuit of human beings, is aimed at some good, some at least apparent good, something we think is good. There's always a goal that we see as desirable as good. For every art, for every inquiry, whether it's shoemaking, whether it's philosophizing, whether it's astronomy, farming, there's always some goal that we're trying to get to through those different kinds of pursuits. And so there's always a good uh, that we are aiming at. Uh, he, he'll, he'll later in his work clarify that he doesn't mean the good, capital, capital G good, the platonic form of a universal uh, idea of the good. But he does, so he, so he doesn't speak about the good in that sense, but he does speak about a best thing, a best good, highest good for human beings. And what he means by that is the thing that we order all of our other actions towards. Uh, I choose to speak right now because I want to convey some idea to you. There's a good immediately present there. Uh, I choose to eat my lunch because I'm hungry and so on. But behind satisfying my hunger, beyond that, beyond my attempt to convey some idea to you now, there's some kind of perception of a greater good and a greater good and a greater good. Eventually, as you trace all of the different chains of, of your action, your reasoning, your decision-making, you realize there's something you want more than anything else. Aristotle calls that the human good. And he says, we all agree about what that is, at least what its name is. The human good is happiness. Happiness is the reason that everyone does everything, even though many of us make mistakes about which choices we should, we should pursue. Uh, to get to it. We all, we all want to get this thing, happiness. Where things get tricky, of course, is what the definition of happiness is. So everyone agrees that the, the human good that every human being wants is happiness. But what does that actually mean? What, what will make us happy? That's where all of these different opinions come up about. Is, is it going to be a life of pleasure? Is it going to be a life of uh, enjoying a great deal of wealth? Is it going to be the pursuit of honor? Is it going to have something to do with virtue? Which virtue? So the good, the human good, the end of all of our actions is happiness, but then what is happiness? That's the major task of Aristotle's ethics is to answer that question and all the questions that you need to answer to get to it. So in other words, even when we do bad things, we have some good in mind and the good is something that we think will lead us to happiness. That's right. To take a, a simple example, if someone indulges their anger they are, in a way, trying to uh, 
get purge themselves of the angry feeling that they think they will, they'll get rid of by, by satisfying, by, by pursuing the anger and, and lashing out. Or, um, if you believe someone has done an injustice to you and you act in anger, you act inappropriately angry towards the person you're trying to pursue what you think is justice. What do you think is justified? You're trying to set things right, um, through your angry action. It's similar with, with lust. It's similar with all kinds of, uh, uh, of, of disordered passions and unjust actions. Uh, we're always seeking some good, but again, sometimes it's, it's merely the apparent good and not the, the true good for, for us. Well, and once, once I'm angry and I beat you up, my sense of justice will be satisfied. I'll be happy. That's right. That's, that's your hope. Is I, I, I can't let this go. I will be seething in anger unless I set things right. But if I start beating you up, yes, I'll be satisfied. I will be happy. So how does he go about trying to understand what the good is in truth? And what does it have to do with, of all things, politics? Yeah. Aristotle adopts a really interesting method in the ethics. He says, I'm not going to give you a set of definitions, a set of first principles, and then descend from these first principles and definitions to all of the different consequences to build up a, an ethical system, a 12 rules for how to be a happy person, a virtuous person. He does not proceed in that way. He does not, in other words, follow the method that Euclid follows in geometry, where you, you begin with your axioms, your presuppositions, and you derive consequences. Instead, Aristotle proceeds dialectically. So he surveys the different common opinions that are out there. He realizes that there are groups of people, uh, what he calls the many, sort of the, the mob, tend to have one view of happiness. They tend to think of happiness as enjoyment or pleasure. Uh, the few, the refined, might say that it is uh, honor, uh, and and the wise might say that happiness is is contemplation. And so he he begins just by surveying the different kinds of opinions that human beings put forward, and then he starts to see how some of these fall short, or some of these are more off the mark than others. He notes that happiness, and in book one, happiness, some of its attributes are that it's complete and self-sufficient. Um, whatever someone argues happiness is, they think once they have it, they won't want anything else. Something sort of, it's a, it's a complete and self-sufficient good. And then he points out that some of these perceived definitions of happiness just don't meet, don't meet that, that qualification, which everyone agrees that, that happiness ought to have. So, he, he proceeds by sort of sifting through existing opinions, finding the inconsistencies in their views and setting aside those that are, that are more deeply inconsistent. And he also does at, at certain points invoke his own conclusions from his own other branches of philosophy. Um, his, his work on psychology, his account of the soul is called a work called On the Soul or De Anima. And so there are a few places in the ethics where Aristotle gives you kind of thumbnail sketch of the conclusions from Deonomy. He says, there's different kinds of souls. There's the kind of soul that a, that a, that a plant has. There's a the kind of soul that an animal has. There's a the kind of soul that a human has. The human soul, that's the one we're interested in. What distinguishes it? Humans have reason. And so the perfection of the human being, this, the human being achieving happiness will have something to do with reason. And so he, he, he weaves together these kinds of conclusions from sifting through uh, common opinions, and he weaves that together with uh, his own conclusions from sort of the scientific or philosophic study 
uh, of the human soul in his other works. What does all of this have to do with politics? At the very beginning of his work, Aristotle says that this inquiry of the ethics is a kind of political inquiry. And this, is, this will strike us as strange because when we think of politics, uh, we think of power, we think of campaigns, we think of voting, we think of something really separate from our private life, from our happiness, and, and, and something that happens out there in the public realm. What Aristotle means is that on the one hand, the political art or politics, the art of practicing politics uh, in, in the fullest sense, uh, is su uh, supervisory over all of the other arts in, in a community. The, the language he uses is that the political art is architectonic. It acts like an architect does towards uh, lower artisans, like a, a bricklayer, a plumber, an, an electrician, obviously, he doesn't say electrician, uh, those kinds of uh, uh, lower arts. Just uh, Similarly, the political art in a city uh, supervises and directs the art of generalship and the art of, of economic, uh, economic management and so on, because all of those arts have lower goods. The general aims at winning victory in the battlefield, but what's the good of victory? What did you win your victory for? For something for the city. The uh, economic manager, uh, the businessman, is trying to generate wealth, but what is wealth good for? Well, it's good for sort of the things of human life and what are those good for something, it has something to do with our, our political common life. And so Aristotle frames the political art at the beginning of his book as aimed at the human good, at the, the most comprehensive human good or, or happiness. Um, a sign of this is that we judge our politicians based on whether they contribute in some way to or inhibit their citizens' uh, pursuit of happiness in, in, in the American Lexicon, we say pursuit of happiness from the from the Declaration of Independence, uh, or from the the preamble to the Constitution, we're we're meant to secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. That kind of uh, human good, achieving achieving human happiness, is what politics is ultimately for. And so, as a result, the ethics is a is a political inquiry. It has to do with human action uh, uh, and human habits and, and human beliefs, and those. Uh, those reach their their highest manifestation uh, in public action for uh, in a political context, and as a result, the ethics is the first half of a two part inquiry. Aristotle says the ethics is the first half of his philosophy of human affairs, and another work he writes called the Politics is the second half. And so, in the ethics, Aristotle discusses what the standard is for the human soul, what would it mean to have a, a virtuous and happy human individual. And then he turns to the next work, the politics, to say, what would a whole community based on this vision of the human person look like? What would a community that's consonant with this understanding of human virtue and happiness look like? And what would a human, a, a political community that actually helps cultivate virtuous and happy citizens rather than uh, undermining their virtue and undermining their happiness what would what would that look like as well we do this in politics every four years are, are, are you better off today than you were four years ago that's right yeah. yes and how do you judge how do you judge your your rulers are they acting like a good shepherd towards you uh, or are they acting like a predatory wolf, wolf towards you are they are their policies conducive to your happiness, the happiness of yourself, of your community, of your family, or are they actually working against and undermining or, or actively attacking 
the good things of, of this life. How are virtue and happiness connected? Aristotle's definition of happiness or, or the human good, those are synonymous. Aristotle's definition of happiness is that happiness is an activity of the soul in accord with virtue. And then he adds on to that, or if there's more than one virtue, then it's an activity of the soul in accord with uh, the best and most complete of the virtues. So uh, the first thing to notice here is that happiness is not just a state of contentment. There's something active about it. Um, so happiness is not the way we often think about it, that, that I'm happy now because everything's going well for me. I'm comfortable. I have some friends around me. We're laughing and so on. That, that's a great moment, but that's not exactly what Aristotle means by happiness. Uh, happiness is uh, the human being doing the work proper to a human being, doing it well. That's, that's the sort of core of his idea of happiness. So by analogy, you would say that the flourishing, the sort of happy, if you could apply it to, to this thing, the flourishing hammer or pen or chair is the one that's able to perform the work proper to the hammer or pen or chair well. That's the best chair right down there. It's manifesting sort of its job as chair best. The horse, the best horse is, is going to be a healthy horse. It's going to be fit. It's going to be able to sort of exhibit its equine nature most fully. What does that look like for human beings? We, we see it in animals, we see it in inanimate objects, we see it in different vocations, the carpenter, uh, the teacher, and so on. We have an idea of the work proper to each of these vocations or careers, and the best version of the carpenter is, is the one who is sort of showing his carpentry in performing his work at a, at a masterful level. Is there such a work for a human being? Aristotle says, yes. It has something to do with our reason, and in particular, it is a manifest. It, it, it is um, are found in the virtues. So there are two kinds of virtue, according to Aristotle. There's a whole list of of, of a variety of, uh, of more than a dozen virtues in total, but there's two broad kinds. There are the moral virtues and the intellectual virtues. Uh, the moral virtues Aristotle describes as um, the the rational part of our soul supervising properly supervising um, our passions. So an example of, of moral virtue would be courage. Uh, courage is sort of the perfect, the perfection in one's own soul, the perfect relationship towards one's own passions, feelings of fear and confidence. So it's a kind of perfection of, no human being is ever gonna cut fear out from his own soul. No human being is going to be perfectly confident. That would result in some sort of insane actions coming from that kind of state. But instead, the person who has habituated himself well to experiencing the appropriate level of fear and confidence when facing a dangerous situation, that's the person who has courage. And so there, as an example of moral virtue, there's something reasonable or rational about the relation of the courageous man to his own sentiments, his own feelings of fear and confidence. But there's also reason in the soul on its own terms, not, not in a supervisory role over something sub-rational like the passions, but just on its own terms. And so Aristotle enumerates a number of intellectual virtues. Uh, prudence is one of them, uh, wisdom, science. Uh, and, and, and so we have also reason on its own terms in the human soul. And both of these are ways of the human being uh, expressing its human nature at the highest level, expressing the fact that it has a rational soul that's embodied and in relation to others, 
uh, at the highest level. That happiness consists in virtue, we Christians would even say holiness, is a thoroughly countercultural idea these days. In a world of desiring and getting and getting tired of what we desired so that we can go around looking for something else to desire, in that kind of world, we are doing our best with the help of Aristotle, St. Thomas Aquinas, and the other great thinkers of the Western tradition to develop countercultural graduates, young people who will challenge the way the rest of the world is acting and living, focusing instead on God, who is the good, the true, and the beautiful. For Wyoming Catholic College, this is Dr. Jim Tonkowicz.